Ray, when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes! Please stop! I got a bad feeling about this. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Did you go out with Ray? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Get away from her, you bitch! You're gonna need a bigger boat. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Movie Nights podcast. For the first episode, it's going to be pretty simple. We're just going to do introductions of who we are and talk about how we got involved with the production team. And then today, we're just going to talk about movies that inspired us when we were younger. Pretty quick and easy episode today. So I'll go ahead and start off. My name is Dalton Burdett. Uh, my name is Ryan Warner. And uh, for me personally, uh, I was there for the first foundation of the movie nights. And from my perspective of the story, eventually we'll have like all the guys on and we'll talk about like how, how it all got started for them. But for me, I came to UCF in 2015 for the summer semester. And I met two guys in there. Their names were Nick Iricchio and Ian LaSalvia. And uh, Nicholas and I hit it off pretty well at first. And uh, he had a roommate named Tyler Specht, and I went to his house one day, and Tyler had brought his friend named Kyler Wagner. Oh yes, the story gets very complicated, try to keep up. And uh, Kyler mentioned that he was a cinematographer, and I was like, how ironic, I'm a writer and director. That was a lie. I mean, mean, it's not a lie because I was, but I was mostly just trying to do those things. I did a couple short films in high school with a bunch of equipment that I found in one of my classrooms, so I guess that counts. Uh, But then, uh, you know... The passion in that room was very evident, and we all just started working together, and, you know, the first movie night film that we made was The Carver, for all of you that have been following us since way, way back when, and uh, that's how sort of the movie nights got founded, and, you know, we're at where we are today, we're, you know, still just a bunch of college kids who pretend that we're more successful than we are, (laughs) so, yeah, that's my perspective of it. What about you, Mr. Warner? Uh, For myself, I started going to Valencia, Um, I'm not... I recently got into the film business with Dalton because I actually met him at work and we filmed something for the company that we work for and ever since then like it was just a lot of fun filming so I just wanted to get involved more with them and that's how I met them was just uh, filming a little short film for the company and it was it was a lot of fun and ever since then like I've tried to do more and uh, learn more and I'm still learning and I still learn from Dalton whenever we're on set and you know, any advice that he gives me, that's kind of what I get from that. And uh, another story, just really quick story I want to mention is uh, how I personally met Anthony Beck, who is a very important part of the Movie Nights team. Uh, Kyler and I and Nick and just everyone involved, we were trying to make a short film, a drama short film. And uh, we really needed a lead actor because we were doing it for a festival that required it to be done in a week. And <laughs> Anthony and Kyler had grown up with each other. And Anthony happened to be at the same meeting that Kyler and I were at. And uh, Anthony bumps into Kyler and he goes, oh, hey, Kyler. And they start talking. And then he looks at me to, like, pretty much get an introduction. Before I say my name, I'm like, can you act? <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, 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 I can. And then we had, like, an audition. And then he ended up acting in that first short film. And, you know, he's been a part of every single production that we've done. So, you know, just wanted to make sure that we mentioned Anthony because he is also very appreciated by us. Yes. <laughs> Uh, All right, now basically, um, like I said, for a quick and easy first episode, we're just going to talk about movies that inspired us when we were younger, like the the movies that are the reason we do what we do. 
And, you know, I think that's very important, you know, when you talk to people who are very passionate in film and filmmaking, like what did it for you? Like what was the thing or the couple of things that just made you want just look at film and go, yes, that's what I want to do. So we'll start it up. We'll open the discussion for Ryan. Ryan, what were some of the films that made you make that decision? Well, one of the biggest films growing up that I watched was uh, Beetlejuice because, you know, my dad he grew up in the 80s and he loves all those uh great 80 movies and just watching Beetlejuice and seeing Michael Keaton's uh performance as Beetlejuice was just amazing and then you know of, of course Winona Ryder I mean I yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have a huge Winona Ryder fan over here oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's I love everything she's in um but definitely Beetlejuice I just feel like Tim Burton did a great job with that movie just I don't know what else to say about that. It's I, I just love that movie. And then also I think we have to talk about Evil Dead. I mean Oh my god, yes. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna chime in on this one a lot. Um hold on. I don't wanna take your, your time, you go first. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I Evil Dead is just I I will argue this till the end of time that Evil Dead is hands down one of the best movies ever made. Thank you. I've been trying to tell people this for years. <laughs> yeah, and it's a shame that, you know, not a lot of people I mean, at least people that I know really have seen that movie because it it blends horror and comedy so perfect, mm-hmm. and Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and just everyone that they, that was on set with that was just they made a masterpiece. They, they are doing the Lord's work. That's what they're doing. And like, and, and and I'll chime in and say one of my top ten favorite movies of all time is the sequel, Evil Dead Two. I love that movie Mm -hmm. and like the more and more i watch evil dead 2 the more i'm just like in awe of like my god like again these are very low budget films and just seeing what they can accomplish thematically and just everything that they're able to do and blend like you said the genre blending of horror and comedy it's so amazing because one doesn't compromise the other like the comedy doesn't compromise the horror the horror doesn't compromise the comedy and it's just it's unreal when you watch those films how well done they are so I, i agree wholeheartedly with you on that yeah, and another movie that I'm just a huge fan of is Halloween, and there's oh another Halloween God. movie coming out later yes. this year, which I'm so excited for, and ever since the trailer dropped, I think I've seen that trailer every day, <laughs> just because I'm uh, I'm so excited for it, and it's just such a, it's such a classic, scary movie that's not like jump scares, it's more like, wow, this could, this could actually happen, but right. it... it the whole vibe of the movie is just creepy. Like yeah. you are so creeped out that entire movie. Just like and just and like you said, like it's realistic and that someone could do this, but there's that supernatural element to yeah. it that sort of like guides over the whole thing. And you know, I also think that um, with uh, that film in particular, again, the low budget horror of just like it's insane how they're able to effectively scare you. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't cost money to scare people, and it just how well done that film is is just so amazing. And I think for us, like, at least for me, I can't uh, speak for you, but that's really, like, inspiring, the story behind it, because, you know, John Carpenter had just gotten out of uh, college um, recently whenever he started making that, and he got together just a group of friends, people he worked on other films with, and he just was given a title, a budget, and he just made it, and I feel like that's... Something like that could just happen especially since we just have a passion for film and we just want to keep doing it. And um, I just think it's very inspirational, I guess is the term I want to use for that. Just because 
he just wanted to have fun, make a movie, and that's what we do. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, it's very inspiring, and you know, a lot of filmmakers who accomplish things with insanely low budgets is very inspiring. One of them being the original Halloween, which we'll talk about pretty much every episode because Halloween's so good. But uh, another filmmaker and just film in general that really inspired me to sort of just like where I watched it and I was like, I, I, I can do this. Like I can, I can make a movie too. And that was Kevin Smith's Clerks, the first one. It's made for like $30,000, black and white, two dudes sitting in a convenience store and you're engaged the whole movie. Just, just the writing and just the characters that that man created and the performances that they bring out in those characters. Just you are so encapsulated by their life, their boring and meaningless life. And just every time I watch that movie, I'm just sitting there like, not only do I d- identify with these guys a lot, but man, I really think I, I could I could make a movie. Like I I can do this. And and you know and so yeah, you you do bring up a good point of like seeing low budget films come to life and come to be what they are, especially the ones that are you know insanely successful. Which you know not every film ends up like that, but the ones that do get there. It's just like, man. Very, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's awesome. And I think another thing that really makes, you know, the original Clerks great is just the fact that I feel like everyone's had that one boring job yeah. and they just, you know, have to do something to pass the time. And it, and it just makes the characters in the whole, like, movie itself just really relatable. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that really contributes to the, to the uh, success of that movie. But another movie I wanted to bring up, which is a favorite of yours, is the original Superman. Oh my god, ladies and gentlemen, you don't want to get me started talking about the original Superman and how good that movie is. Oh man, like, okay, alright, here we go, I'm, I'm in it, okay, it's a <laughs> Tell us, tell us. But, uh, okay, so the original Superman is the movie I watch whenever I'm having the worst day possible or just I feel terrible I put in that movie, and it just makes me the happiest person alive. Just the vibe that that movie brings off of, like, this is what a hero should be. This is what, mm-hmm. you know, this is what the ideal superhero is. And that sort of really helped define the trademark of Superman is the American superhero. And, you know, like, specific moments in that movie, like the moment when Superman first saves Lois. And you hear that John Williams score just blare as he gets into the outfit, saves her. And he does the cheesy Boy Scout lines, like, you know, mm-hmm. statistically speaking, flying is the safest way to travel, you know, hopefully this doesn't put you out to it. And it's just like, come on, man, like, that's, that's what I need. You can't beat that. Like, no, like, like, like that's, that's what the world needs. They, they need that superhero. Just that. And it's so cheesy and it's so wonderful. Like, you just become a joyous child. When you watch that movie, it's so good. And speaking of good music, go back to Halloween for a second. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I recently started listening to a lot more uh, of John Carpenter's scores. Yeah. And I haven't seen Assault on Precinct 13, but just, like, the theme for that <laughs> is is very identifiable. It's, like, that is John Carpenter. Yeah. And if you compare that to Halloween, like, it still has that, like, same sound. And, and I'm becoming a huge fan of his sound. Other... But, um... Yeah, because the whole Halloween score is just scary, and I was watching the documentary on it, and he showed the first cut of it to some Hollywood executive, and she was not a fan of it. She said it didn't scare her, movies like this didn't scare her. Then he went back, he put that iconic theme in it, and she said that was the scariest movie she's ever seen. So, like, that, (laughs) that score really helps set the tone for 
Michael Myers, like who Michael Myers is, yeah. like how creepy he is, like all, like the supernatural yeah. effect, like you said. And going off of now we're on this thing of good music, let's talk about um, what is uh, the greatest movie of all time, uh, uh, Jaws, and how that song, that theme also literally Dunna. changed up the entire movie and like and who Dunna. everyone knows even if you've never seen jaws you hear that everyone you're like, knows what you're that like theme you're is. like that that's from jaws and like yeah. and also uh when john williams first showed like steven spielberg like hey this is going to be the theme and he went on the end of the piano and did the dun 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 spielberg kind of laughed at him he was like oh funny what's the real theme he's like no 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 like i'm serious he's like play it again and then he kind of listened to it with a new mindset and like it, it literally changes the entire fundamental just everything about that movie like picture watching jaws with no music and mm-hmm. it's just it's not the same movie and you know jaws like i said it's, it's one of my favorite movies ever made and it's because of just the fact that you know you have a young filmmaker everything that could possibly go wrong on a film set goes wrong the studio's down his neck the actors are down his neck everyone is just complaining no one's having a good time it was not a good time and then He's like, okay, the shark's not working, nothing's working, let's just, the camera is the shark, and let's just have the audience not see what's going on until later when we have to see it. Mm -hmm. And that turned out to be the best creative decision ever, because that movie is so terrifying when you have no idea what's going on under the water. Yeah, and I feel like you can compare Jaws and Halloween, like, just in the same uh, factor that the the way the camera is like you said the camera is the shark and a mm-hmm. lot of the scenes in halloween is you see like one of the scenes you see the three girls walking down the street mm-hmm. and you see them as if you're michael myers and like we were talking about earlier like whenever we're what we are michael myers you can hear the breathing yes and same thing with jaws like like the shark is just stalking these people who are stranded on a boat or yeah. on the beach, like like impending doom. Yeah, yeah, like, and and it's just to, to its finest. Just there's something so unsettling about you being put in the POV of what's about to, to kill somebody. Yeah, and it's just it's crazy. It's insane. All right, what other movies kind of get you going? Um, well, like I said earlier, my dad grew up in the '80s, so I kind of grew up on that '80s nostalgia. But I loved the original A-Team TV show because it was very lighthearted. So whenever yeah. the movie came out in 2010, I believe, um, I was just ecstatic for that movie just because, you know, watching the TV show that I loved. And, and I think by far that's one of my most favorite TV shows ever. Mm-hmm. And whenever that movie came out with uh, Liam Neeson and Bradley Cooper, I was, I was just beyond excited for that movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and it's it's a fun movie too. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, and I think we can both agree like it's not the best movie in the world, but it, but it definitely captures that feeling that the TV show sort of gives off, yeah. and and it also and it kind of it just sort of like, I think Joe Carnahan, I believe Joe Carnahan directed that movie, and it it sort of just it's a lot of fun, and like we said, and just the whole time you're smiling and you just get reminded of the television show yeah. and like and everything about it. So so I can definitely see how that could really like you know kind of make you think back to watching that old tv show especially with your dad and how like that memory all ties in together yeah it it has a lot of sentimental value that that movie does with me because i would just sit there and watch the original show with my dad and just Mm -hmm. sit there and just laugh about it oh yeah totally and uh uh another another movie for me that's extremely inspiring uh, you know going back to you know movies being made for low budgets and being really successful is the original rocky oh yeah that movie 
is so good. And I mean, yeah. and you know, a lot of people, you'd be surprised how many people haven't actually seen Rocky. Like when you ask them, because like, everyone knows Rocky. Everyone knows what it is, you know, and all the count, like the countless sequels, sequels that aren't nearly as good. But uh, it's a surprise how many people have never actually watched Rocky. Yeah. And, and I, I love that movie, not only because A, it's low budget, but B, it was written by Sylvester Stallone and he wanted to be in the movie. And he's like, I belong, I need to be this character, which is not something that gets granted to many writers or actors today oh, yeah. when they want that to happen. And, you know, and just the fact that he really believed in this project and a great director like John G. Alveson came on. And, you know, just how well that movie is constructed. Mm-hmm. And not only just the, the boxing scenes that, I, that use, like, really innovative camera movements, but also just that movie's a love story it, be- it, it be- between Rocky and Adrian. Like, the, the literal, okay, you know, spoilers if you've never seen Rocky, but, like, it came out. It's been out, out for 30, yeah, 40 yeah, years yeah, now, come on so, now. I mean, that's on you. Yeah, but uh, the end of that movie, when the f- winner of the fight is literally just the background of the scene of what's going on. And all that matters is he's looking for Adrian in the crowd. And the movie ends on them finding each other and him, mm-hmm. and him just saying, I love you, you know, the yeah. cheesy slow voice. Adrian. Yeah. And, like, that, there's something so just innocent about that. Mm-hmm. And I, like, peop, I, people nowadays don't talk about how good that first Rocky movie is. Yeah. Because, you know, the sequels came out and they it, it sort of became its own culture of, like, Rocky Four, America, you know, and all that stuff. But yeah, like, during, like, the Cold War yeah, and Yeah, and all but, that. like, you know, but the first Rocky movie is such a cinematic yeah, masterpiece. Yeah, and like you said, if, if you break that movie down, it is a love story between Adrian and Rocky. Rocky. Yeah, I agree. Um, another movie that I wanted to bring up is the original Spider-Man, the oh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Talk that about is nost- a classic. Yeah, talk about people our age. Nostalgia. Yeah. Oh my goodness, when that movie came out. Oh yeah. Oh man, dude. Oh, especially Spider-Man Two. Oh okay. Now see, now we're gonna we're gonna talk about this a lot now. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, uh, the the train sequence in Spider-Man Two. Oh my gosh, that is one of the greatest action set pieces of any comic book movie mm-hmm. I've ever seen. And Spider-Man 2 is one of the best comic book movies ever made. And at the end of that scene, it's a very, like, character-defining moment for Spider-Man. Like, whenever he tries to save everyone, like, after Doc, o- Doc Ock left and, yeah. you know, the train's going and it's uh, almost derail or it's about to derail, and he just has to stop it. And, you know, he you can see his suit's just shredded up and after he passes out everyone sees that you know this is a kid and it's just a very like heartwarming moment yeah i agree and it's it's such an amazing moment and you know and just like you know the kids giving him the mask and being like we're not going to tell anybody and like and it's just such an amazing movie and like the themes that spider-man 2 explored of like not wanting to be the hero anymore and just trying to live his own life and it was really it was really like interesting to see especially in like the early stages of like this huge superhero renaissance that we're going through. Yeah. It was, it's still considered one of the best comic movies of all time. And I think that it's just funny. You bring up the scene where they were like, Oh, and they see it's just a kid. And then you go back and it's like, Oh, it's 35 year old Tobey Maguire. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like, but the, what the scene was going for, like it really sticks out in that moment. Yeah. And, I, and I agree. I agree with you there. Uh, and okay. Talking about movies that inspire us. We can't even talk about this without bringing up, Star Wars. Oh, like, of course. Like, That's the... Like, yeah. Yeah, like, okay, the original Star Wars and the original Star Wars trilogy, like, come on. Th- that That's everyone's childhood movie, oh, at yeah. least, uh, almost. And, like, and just, like, we'll focus on A New Hope for now, but, like, the original Star Wars movie, just the farm boy 
who gets called to go save the universe and save the princess. And then when they get there, the princess is a badass that didn't need saving. Throw in a scoundrel that's just in it for the money. And you have one of the best movies ever made. It literally set the gold standard of the hero's journey and movies that follow Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces. And just everything about that movie. And that's something that the more you watch it, the more you pick up, like, this movie's really good. Like, like not just the nostalgic part of it, but just the way it tells its story mm-hmm. and the way that it sort of reveals each character and what they mean to themselves. And also just, again, John Williams is the man, the score of Star Wars. Who doesn't know the... Dun, 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 yeah, you know, like yeah, every, yeah. Everyone knows that that's the Star Wars theme. Yeah. And uh, two things I want to bring up really quick, mm-hmm. uh, talking about Star Wars and then back to Jaws. Mm-hmm. Of those two movies, what would you say like makes the movie for you? Just one scene that nice. really just captures the movie for you. And, and we can start off with Star Wars since we're on that right now and then uh, hop back to Jaws. Dude, that's a hard question. I, I think mine, it's later in the movie, but whenever... Uh, Luke is making the run, getting ready to bomb the Death Star, and then I think I know what you're gonna say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you hear Obi Wan's voice, like uh-huh. use yeah. the Force, and yeah, like yeah. he moves it away, and just like it, like he finally he finally embraces the Force and like mm-hmm. what it is, yeah. and just like that's what that whole movie is about, at mm-hmm. least to me. Just you know, like like you said, this farm boy, the mm-hmm. call to arms, yeah. and just like he finally embraces it. Mm-hmm. It's funny because my moment comes literally right well, after yours yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's when he does that you know he accepts who he is i agree with everything you said and but you know it keeps cutting between him and darth vader and darth vader is about to kill him he's screwed and then all of a sudden the ship next to him blows up and they look up and here's the millennium falcon han solo comes back just Whoa! and yeah. helps save luke because that whole movie when you see han solo you're asking like okay he says he's in it for the money, and he says he's but this guy. But like, him. like, but is he a hero? Is he gonna? Is he gonna come back? Is he gonna do the right thing? Yeah. And that moment when he comes back and saves them, and he's like, "All right, kid, let's blow this thing and go home." And it's such an awesome, like, I have goosebumps. It's such an awesome moment. Yeah. And you know that really just like I, I envy people who saw that in the theater because that how that had to be like a cheering in the crowd oh, moment. Yeah. Like, I imagine so. But yeah, but that would probably be the moment for me. I mean, and we, we could talk about Star Wars moments all okay, day and yeah. Jaws. Okay, okay. how about this? Jaws. What's the moment in Jaws that like is the defining moment for you? Uh, probably when you first see the shark whenever he jumps out and uh, oh, yeah. Chief Brody is, you know, shoveling the chum. And he's like, why don't you come uh, chum this shit or, or yeah. whatever he says. Yeah. And then the shark comes out and he sees like how big this shark actually is. Yeah. And... He just, I feel like just that realization of like what he's after and what he's hunting, especially since, you know, he's afraid of the open water yeah. and he's just, he, he doesn't like being out there and they're stranded. Mm-hmm. Just that feeling of isolation. Yeah. And I, I feel like that whole scene just really makes it for me. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a really good point. I think the scene for me that does it, and it kind of just goes to show you how powerful this scene is, is the film's opening scene. When you know you're on, you're on the beach and these kids, these seventies mm-hmm. teenagers are messing around, and two of them go off to go skinny dipping in the ocean, and this girl swims out there, and you know you see camera shots from under the water, and it's very unsettling. You're like, all right, something's not right here. Then that theme picks up, dun 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 dun, and she gets pulled underwater, 
comes back up and like what and happens again then you just see her going left right like just being, being jerked t- around torn around she's screaming for her life but you like we said earlier you can't see what's going on you're just like what in the hell is happening and just the acting the direction everything about that scene like she clings to a buoy for life just like please and i think the last thing she said before she gets pulled underwater is god please help and then Yep. done and then and, the guy she's with has no idea what's happening oh yeah he's, he's, he's still yeah. he's drunk out yeah. of his mind like yeah. he's trying and, to get and undressed it's just and... it's so scary mm-hmm. and like that happens and you're just like oh my god like what what are they gonna go up against yeah. and it's such a crazy good moment yeah uh one thing i, I did want to bring up um kind of going backtracking back to superman is oh, we were uh, we were driving around town the other day, oh and God. just to show you like how much Dalton loves the original Superman, I played the theme to it, and the second it started, he he was on his phone or looking away or something, and the second that theme came on, he looked up, looked at me, and had the biggest smile on his face. Like this man <laughs> loves Superman. Yeah, and uh, we played it in the car later, and I was driving really fast, and he was like, "Okay, I'm gonna turn off the song now." <laughs> We don't have to drive yeah. fast because we're playing the Superman theme. I had to feel like I was flying, bro. You'll believe a man can fly. That's the tagline of the movie. Yeah, I, hey, I believe it, man. But, uh, but yeah. But, oh, man, dude. All right, what, what other movies just just make you love cinema? Um, well, I'm a huge Quentin Tarantino fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, which is really funny because I haven't seen Reservoir Dogs. Which, to me, is the best Tarantino movie. And, and just, you need to watch and it. And everything I've heard is like that is the classic Tarantino movie um but I also really love True Romance which was written by Tarantino but not directed um I recently bought that movie so I'm just waiting for that to come in um but I'd have to say like my favorite Tarantino movie as of right now is Pulp Fiction because I haven't seen Reservoir Dogs but just Mm -hmm. the way Pulp Fiction is filmed like out of sequence and just like at the end of the movie you kind of have to put you had to put the movie in chronological order, and, and I love that style. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of like non chronological order of movies, going to one of my favorite directors, which is Christopher Nolan. Oh yes. Memento yes. is such a fantastic movie, also made for a low budget, and it's literally told in reverse because the main character has short term memory loss, and you really? watch the movie as if you're him, hmm. and you don't know what happened. It's not about what happens next, it's about what happened before, and the whole movie is backwards. That's such an interesting concept. And it is such a fantastic movie. And I recommend that everyone watch that. If you've never seen Memento, I don't know where you can find it, but please figure it out and watch that movie. It's so good. Speaking of Christopher Nolan, um, a movie that kind of came out when we were still kids, if you will, yeah. uh, Dark Knight. Oh my God, that whole, yeah. That just, I mean, the whole trilogy is amazing, mm-hmm. but specifically Dark Knight, what does it for you? for that movie there's so much and you know you can't talk about Dark Knight without talking about Heath Ledger's performance oh yeah and just because it's it's are you can make the argument that it is one of the best acting performances ever given mm-hmm. like you can make that argument about that movie and but here's the thing the movie is so much more than just that performance that movie is a crime thriller it is an intense drama that is suspenseful and like Hans Zimmer's score is so wonderfully oh, it's done beautiful. yeah and like and just everything about that movie. And the thing that I love about that movie, that movie is sort of about like post 9-11 surveillance. Like that whole third act mm-hmm. when Batman... Cre- it's funny. It's like you're talking about how this is a great movie. You're like, yeah, and then Batman. And you yeah. remember like, oh, it's a Batman movie. That's so great. <laughs> right. no, but like when Batman gives Lucius Fox that 
computer where you can see every cell phone in the mm-hmm. world and he's like we need to find this guy and lucius is like no this is too much yes, like yeah I, this is my resignation just like just what an allegory for what's sort of going on in, yeah. in the world at that time of like is this the right thing to do is this how we fight terrorism like what this is so ambiguous like morally ambiguous mm-hmm. and this the fact that the movie had that theme tied along with it yeah really sort of did it for me because th- that whole trilogy is sort of grounded in reality yeah and that's what's sort of really interesting about those movies but yeah chris nolan is is the man and he, okay this will be an interesting discussion ryan and i both really enjoy alien and aliens however yes. <laughs> we have different views on them i think the first alien is better Ryan thinks that Aliens is better. Yes, I I do. The the James Cameron Aliens, yeah. the second one. Now now, but now I think we can both agree that a these are both great films. B they're both very 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 different films. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to sort of compare apples and oranges in this scenario. However, I'll let you go first about the second movie. Why is Aliens the superior film to Aliens? I mean. There's a lot going into Aliens. I mean, obviously you have Ripley who survived the first movie. She basically went through the whole movie like by herself. I mean, she had her crew, but you know they all got picked off one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the second one, she realizes like what what these monsters are, what these aliens are, and just like how how you can't really stop them. I mean, she had to blast it out out into space to stop it. Mm -hmm. And in the second one, they go back and, like, they try to... It's a cover-up, basically, and they try to uh, get these aliens so they can study them, but she's told that they're just going to go and wipe them all out because the colony was uh, wiped out. But I just... I love... I love that strong female lead that's given off in that, and I feel like James Cameron does a great job of bringing that performance out versus um, Ridley Scott. And I just, and there's a lot more going into it. Like Bill Paxton. I I love Bill Paxton's character. He's game over, man, game over. over." (laughs) And just like I, he gives that comic relief that the first one doesn't really have. Like the first one is very scary, very isolated, very, like a true horror movie yeah. the second one it still has that isolation that isolated feeling the feeling you know the the horror movie feeling but it also has that comic relief in bill paxton which i really do like and it it's a very like a war movie because they're going to war with the aliens and i'm a sucker for war movies so i that's why i feel like the second one's better just because like that comic relief um, I feel like James Cameron does a better job of bringing out performances than Ridley Scott did in the first one. The whole thing of sort of like a metaphor for Vietnam and yeah. like sending people to die, like, and I and like, and then that's the first time I watched it. That's what I was like. I sort of picked up on that too. Mm-hmm. But uh, my turn. Alien is a better dude, and, and here's why. Um, the first Alien movie, not okay. The set design is amazing. That's Dromo yes. such a beautiful ship. The direction of Ridley Scott, that movie is so well crafted. Mm -hmm. And just, it's, like you said, it's a claustrophobic, isolated horror film. Yes. That is insanely well done. That through, as it goes throughout, like that's the first chestburster scene when they're just eating dinner. John Hurt goes on the table. No one knows what the hell's going on. Mm -hmm. And then just blah comes right through the chest. You're like, what the hell is happening? It is such a great 
moment like the tagline for the movie is in space no one can hear you scream like which is just a terrifying tagline yeah like my god itself. and like and i also like how it kind of does like the unspoken tradition of what great horror movies do of you think you know the main character and then it changes like psycho did it oh yeah and then, did it beautifully and then a nightmare on elm street did it mm-hmm. and then alien the cat scream yeah and scream like the captain of the ship and alien gets killed off and then ripley takes control and is like all right look here's what we're gonna do and then and you brought up scream yes drew barrymore bye bye mm-hmm. in the first 10 minutes yeah but, uh, but yeah and it's it's such just a well-crafted like near perfect horror movie and and mm-hmm. and that's why I personally feel that it's better than Aliens. Although I agree, Aliens is great, and that the movies are so different. Yeah, but they, I they just, are. just personally, to me, that first Alien is just so resonant of like, oh my god, this is such a well-crafted movie. And yeah, and, and I can recognize that too. Like the Alien is a very good movie, and I, I I agree that you know it's it's well done. But personally, I'd have to go with Aliens. Um, another movie that I want to bring up is Indiana Jones. I mean, oh, you, you're man. a huge Steven Spielberg fan. You yeah. love everything that that man touches. Oh, yeah. Um, Ra- Raiders of the Lost Ark is so... It, it, it's it's a love letter to the classic like 1940s serial movies and just the, the, uh, the sense of adventure. I've never felt a more sense of adventure mm-hmm. than watching Raiders of the Lost and Ark. And that is like a true adventure film. Like whenever I think of adventure films, I think of Indiana Jones. Yes. Just because... Absolutely, yeah. And just, like, everything that that movie does. Just And, again, John Williams, dun-dun-dun, Like, everyone knows. Like, just that's synonymous that with Indiana means. Jones. And just, like and like I said, like, Spielberg's long one-shot takes, just everything about that movie. The mm-hmm. moment when the guy pulls out the sword and Indiana Jones just shoots him. Yeah, because... Like, like, what? Just, it's so that's who, That's who Indiana Jones is. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, another movie I saw on my list was uh, Batman, Michael Keaton. Oh, yes, the original Batman. Okay, here, here's... Okay, this will get interesting. Yeah. I like Batman Returns more than I like the original Batman. Really? Why is that? Yes. Because to me, the original Batman, while it's very good and Jack Nicholson's Joker's great and everything about that movie is... I, I like that movie. The Devil in the Pale Moonlight. <laughs> I love that scene. Yes, yes. I, I, I really enjoy that movie. But to me, it sort of falls victim to... Being the, like, not knowing, like, it, it knew it wanted to do something different with the Batman character. Because yeah. at that time, we just had, like, the Adam West 60s, like, pow, blam, Batman. Yeah, and then Tim Burton came along. Yeah, and, and changed it. And it knew it wanted to do something different, something dark, but it didn't quite know what direction to go. This is the original Batman yes. you're saying. Okay. It didn't quite know. I mean, it knew the direction. It didn't quite know what to do with it. It's like, all right, we need to go darker. And it's like, and, and then what? Uh, and then, like, yeah. p- part of the movie, just to me, feels a little, like, not fully, completely visionized. And, well, Michael Keaton's performance, Michael Keaton is an amazing Batman, amazing Bruce Wayne. He's an amazing actor yes, altogether. I agree. And Jack Nicholson is so good in that movie. To me, in Batman Returns, the moment you see Gotham, I was like, yep, this is Tim Burton's Gotham. And I was just so ready for the whole world that was set up. Like, granted, it took Batman to set up that world, but mm-hmm. I was immediately bought into it when Batman Returns started. And just Batman was more badass in Batman yeah. Returns. And, like, Danny DeVito's Penguin is so scary. Like, I was so scared of him when I was a kid. Like, when he... I'm pretty sure... I could be remembering this wrong. I'm pretty sure he bites Christopher Walken's nose. Yeah, he does. I, he, think, he, he, I think he bites it off. off. Yeah, and that scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. Yeah. And, like, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, like... 
perfect. Yeah, like, she is so good. Yeah, and back to like Gotham. Like whenever mm-hmm. you read Batman comics and like you yeah. see Gotham or picture it or like whenever someone tells you about Gotham, at least for me, like it, Tim Burton's Gotham is what I think Gotham should look like, and he yeah. he did an amazing job portraying that. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Um, all right, all right, we'll do we'll do two more movies each. Two more movies each, and then we'll. Or like, how about two total movies two each? Two total movies, and then right. we'll, I mean, Do you have one in mind right now? Um, I'm thinking we could probably talk about. Well, hold on, I'm trying to get a movie that you've seen too. Never mind. Hmm. Yeah, because I, I haven't seen near as many movies as you have. I mean, <laughs> like we said earlier, you're the film major. Film, you've grown up loving films. Um, I think it's, it's oh oh. Dude, we gotta think. We gotta talk about They Live. Okay. Oh, how how could we forget They Live? Oh my god, dude, They Live is John, so good. Yeah, that's so like having having Rowdy Roddy Piper who was a wrestler at the time yeah. act. I feel like of a lot of the uh, wrestlers gone actors I've seen, that is by far one of the best performances I've seen. Oh yeah, and like and not only is it just good, but it's also like it has that like that cheesiness factor. That's yeah. just so like whenever they're fighting in the uh, alleyway. That is a great fight by the yeah. way. That is such a great well choreographed fight scene. Mm-hmm. And like just okay, who can forget you know, I've come here to chew, chew bubble, bubble gum, gum and, and kick, kick ass, ass and, and I'm, I'm all out, out of bubble, bubble gum. gum. Like it's so perfect. It's an, it's an iconic line. Like yeah, yeah. I feel like everyone knows that line and they just don't know where it's from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's it, people need to talk about it more. I feel like. I mean, I know it's what came out in 80, 86, something like that. So it came out in the eighties. I don't 80s, remember the exact yeah. year. Yeah, but it's it's definitely a movie. I feel like everyone needs to see. And just like that idea of like subliminal messages. Yes, whenever he puts yes. on the glasses yes. and he sees like the like like for instance when they're in the shop mm-hmm. and he puts on the glasses and he sees the regular woman or he sees the um the alien mm-hmm. and he like takes them off really quick and then he puts them back on and he sees like a regular woman and he's like you you're fine this one real fucking ugly okay, yeah. like oh my it's God. just such a <laughs> I forgot about that line yeah that line oh really God. sets the mood for yes. the movie cuz he's like he's scared and then he's like okay, I feel like more people should know about this. And that's why, like, he tries to bring awareness to, like, you know, these glasses, like, help you see aliens. There's yeah, aliens yeah. among us and, you know, just... Yeah. It's a very very well-done movie. And, all right, and I think to close it off, because we've mentioned the movie in passing, but we haven't gone into it. And the thing is, there's there so many movies we could talk about. Oh, it's yeah. Just, go on and on. Yeah. But I'm going to go with the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. That movie scared the shit out of me. The first time I watched it. It's directed by Wes Craven. I love Wes Craven. And just, first of all, how dare he make a movie about, like, when you go to sleep, you're not safe, and it's in your dreams. Like, come on, man. Yeah, like, that, that movie messed me up growing up, because <laughs> yeah. I, I watched that movie when I was younger, and um, after watching that movie, I had to have, like, a nightlight on. I had to have, like, a <laughs> light on just to make sure that, you know, I was awake. Yeah, and that Freddy was, wasn't going to come and get yeah, you. In the night. Yeah, it's a very scary concept, especially, like, if you watch it when you're growing up. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's all sorts of terrifying, and just everything... That, like, just not only just con- the conceptual of, like, oh, you can die in your dreams, but just, like, then you find out the backstory of, like, no, honey, Freddy didn't get you because mommy and daddy killed Freddy. And it's like, what? What are you talking about? And yeah. just, like, that whole mystery. And Johnny Depp's first movie, the mm-hmm. young 80s Johnny Depp. And then he just gets obliterated. Oh, in my his, God. It, that, one of the most gruesome... Outside of Evil Dead, I'd say that's yeah. the most gruesome scene. Oh, yeah. And, like, and 
just the, the funny thing is Wes Craven was in an interview one time because mm-hmm. that blood scene that was very expensive yeah and he, spent, and he spent a lot of money on it and he's like he was excited to see like the audience reaction to that but then the scene right after that is when Nancy's on the phone I believe her name is Nancy she's on the phone and then the tongue comes through the phone, Freddy Krueger's tongue, and gets her in the mouth. <laughs> yeah, and, I totally and, forgot and about that. And apparently that cost like 20 bucks, like that rig. Wow, really? And he said he was watching the audience, and he said no one screamed during Johnny Depp's death scene, but everyone jumped when that tongue came out of the phone, and he was like, I spent so much money getting that blood to work, and then it was I wonder the, how it that was would the, feel, just like as a filmmaker. Yeah, like you're just, just hoping it, yeah. that this and, has and the tw- And the $20 tongue is what scared people. But he said he learned. He's like, yeah. you know, like I said earlier, you don't need money to scare people. And just, it's such a fantastic movie. It blends a lot of different styles, and it creates like this personified villain of Freddy Krueger. He's not just going to kill you. He's going to taunt you while he does it. Yeah. Like, hey. And one of the scariest scenes in that movie is when she's in the bathtub oh, and she's falling asleep and you just see his yes, claw yes. come out. Oh my God, that's that, so terrifying. Yeah. And, you know, one last thing I want to say about making cheap films is I believe Paranormal Activity, the first one, had a budget of like $13,000, something like that, and it made stupid money on yeah. its return. Like, cheap uh, cheap scares make money is, yeah. is what it is cheap good scares anyways yeah yeah and, and you know obviously we can learn from low budget filmmaking because we thankfully as the movie nights got a film into a film festival for nothing I think yeah. I think the estimated when we calculated like how much our equipment costs and all that it was estimated around $1,825 dollars mm-hmm. and we made an award winning short film out of it and yeah. so obviously we're very happy and very proud of everyone for being able to do that and it is now streaming on amazon a uh, prime no more safe haven <laughs> go ahead and yep. uh, give that a watch well guys i think that'll pretty much do it for our first episode thank you to everyone who listened and tune in next time for the next episode of the movie nights podcast i'm dalton burdett i'm ryan warner have a great night everybody